So uh, real quick, I wanted to give you a heads up. So, in a, so we're doing this series called At the Table, where we're taking a look specifically at the act or the, the sacrament of communion. Now, some of us grew up in traditions, uh, maybe it was called Eucharist or Lord's Table, communion. Some of us, many of us didn't grow up going to church, and so this whole idea of communion is kind of weird to us. And so we're taking a look in each Sunday in uh, February, a look at how the table works and how it brings us together. And one of the things that we're going to do is in two Sundays, so Sunday the, is that the 23rd? Two weeks, is that, come on, help me out. Is that 23rd, two Sundays from now? Yeah, 23rd. Okay, February 23rd, here's what we're going to do. We're not going to meet in here at 11 o'clock, so we're not going to do a 9.30 service on the 23rd. At 11 o'clock on February 23rd, we're all going to meet outside on the yard. We're going to have a worship service outside, and then we're going to have a full communion meal. So we're going to take communion as part of a bigger meal, which is the old school way to do it. I must say that sitting in rows, facing some talking head and passing a tray and taking the little elements, that's a new thing. It's not wrong, it's just new. But one of the the oldest way to take communion is around a table of a bunch of misfits eating a full meal together. And I'll just say this, it's easy, in the midst of diversity, it's easy to have unity in a room like this. You know where it's not easy to have unity? When you're sitting across from this scumbag for the last two hours, listening to them spout off all this gnarly stuff that they believe. And you just can't believe, how are we in the same church? So I look forward to seeing you on the 23rd. Hey, listen, we, uh, we talk about all sorts of stuff, right? As a church family, we talk about sex, we talk about politics, we talk about violence, we talk about things that make people uncomfortable. And oftentimes we'll hear people say, hey, you don't talk about that in polite company. And you're right, but this ain't polite company. We're a church family. And if Jesus is who he says he is, then that shapes everything about our lives, including the stuff that makes us super nervous and tense talking about And so today, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to actually look at this ancient letter written to a church that was dealing with the same tension. But I want to ask you this one question. Who is at your table? In your life, as you think about the tables that you're at, whether it's your dining room table or your kitchen table, whether it's the tables that you frequent at your favorite restaurants, regardless of what kind of table you have or which table you're imagining now, my question for you is this. Who? is at your table. Who's at your table? One of the things as we start, uh, as we uh, discover in Jesus' life is that Jesus does exponentially more ministry at tables than he does in temples. In fact, the majority of Jesus' ministry, when he's engaging with community, it's not done in a temple setting, it's done at tables. Now, some of that may be lost on us because we don't understand really in our culture what a table means. But in Jesus' culture, and actually in many of our cultures too, the table means acceptance. Not necessarily accepting all the beliefs or prejudices of the other, but it means that you are made in the image of God as am I, and I welcome you to my table, and we can be in community or communion together. You see, the table in Jesus' day, as well as many of our cultures, it meant you are in community with me. It's also a way to say to everyone else who's looking on, I accept these people into my life. You see, the table was a communication. It was a communication tool that said, not only to the individual at the table, you are welcome into my life. 
it communicated to everyone else, these are the type of people who are welcome into my life. And in Jesus' day, you guarded your table, baby. Because if you had some low life at your table, what would that communicate to everyone else? That you also are a low life. If you, if you were a wealthy person and you accepted non-influential people to your table, what would you be communicating to everyone else? You'd be communicating, I'm of no influence either. Do you see? You see, when you bring someone into your table, you're communicating to them and the rest of the world, these are my people. And one of the reasons why many of the leaders got so mad at Jesus, especially the religious leaders of his day, they got so mad and, or at least perplexed and confused by Jesus is he led everybody at his table. Like Jesus was indiscriminate about who got to have a seat at the table. In fact, Jesus would tell his followers, they called him disciples. He told his disciples, go out and invite everybody with a special emphasis on the undesirables. And the followers of Jesus, the earliest followers of Jesus, did what we do. What? He said, go out and get the pimps and the prostitutes. Go out and get the lepers or the sick who have contagious diseases. Go into the coronavirus quarantine and invite them into your home. You see, the thing that made Jesus' ministry so profound is who got a seat at Jesus' table? Everybody. His love, his grace was indiscriminate, and it made everybody so uncomfortable. Jesus was constantly telling people, come and follow me, and then he pulls out a chair at the table, and you're sitting, you find yourself sitting next to someone that you hate. That's actually, uh, in my opinion, why much of the New Testament was actually written outside of the Gospels. It's a bunch of Jesus followers trying to figure out how are we going to actually put this into practice? How are we actually going to live? Because if I follow Jesus' example by having all these people at my table, what, how am I going to be able to deal with it? Much less, what's other, what are other people going to think of me? When we take communion, there is a vertical element. We remind ourselves of God's grace and love and relationship with us. But there's also a horizontal element to taking communion. When we take communion together, we say to each other and to the world, these are my people. You see, when we have people at the table, we are saying, you are my people. And so my question for you is, who is at your table? There's an early, early, early group of Jesus followers who are trying to figure this out. They're in a place called Colossae, and there's a book in the Bible in the New Testament called Colossians, which was a letter written by a pastor to these uh, early Jesus followers. They're really trying to figure out how do you live with the tension, pain, frustration, disappointment, and anger of being a group of misfits bound together by Jesus? Let me ask you, does that seem applicable to you? I was this close to doing this exercise where we just went around the room and shared who we voted for. <laughs> just to see if there was any possible reason that this would be applicable today. But I'm not going to do that because I don't want to get stabbed in the parking lot. So we're going to go to Colossians 3. Come Lord Jesus, come man. Here's Colossians 3. We're going to work our way through it and we're going to see if this has anything uh, for us today. And by the way, if, if a point is made or uh, something seems to strike with you, it's okay to talk back and do things like, I mean, if, if you want to go old school, you could be like, amen. We could even try it. 
Yeah, so you guys are pros. All right, so watch this. So this is, a, this is an early follower of Jesus who's a pastor writing to other early followers of Jesus. Watch, watch what he says. Oh, yeah. You know, every, real quick, TV timeout. Do you know that every letter written has an occasion? There, there's a reason for the letter? You guys know that, right? So why is this letter being written? Let's see if we can find some clues. But now, like right now, put away all of the following. Okay, we're going to get a list. Let's get the list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language. From your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. Now that put off the old self, put on the new self, is, it's kind of weird. I'll explain it here in just a minute. But I want you to see, why is this author writing to this young church? What types of things are they doing to each other that would be the occasion for this letter? Well, they are probably uh, being angry with one another, expressing their wrath to one another, harboring malice towards each other, slandering each other, and using filthy language to talk to each other. By the way, that filthy language, that's probably not just George Carlin's seven words you can't say on TV. It's the type of, and even if it doesn't make his list, it's the type of words that are used to destroy. And you know you can use Jesus' own words to do that, don't you? They're lying to each other. Why are they doing that? Here's why. I, and this old self, new self. So watch this. Do you see that, that there is some of this text is primarily to me what I'm supposed to be doing? And, and then there is an, uh, 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 an effect that that has with others. So I am called to put away these things that I'm doing to other people. And I'm going to put off the old self and I'm going to put on the new self. What the, uh, this, the author's name is Paul. What Paul's saying is this. You, when we exhibit these types of behaviors, anger, wrath, malice, filthy language, lying, deceit, etc., when we do that, we are operating under an old uh, value system. There's a value system that says, in order for me to look good, you need to look bad. In order for me to feel satisfied, my enemies need to be destroyed. In order for me to be elevated, you need to be de-elevated. And he says, that's an old way of thinking. That's not the Jesus value system. Jesus' value system is, I mean, he says crazy things like, the first shall be last. Don't lord your power over others, but rather, if you want to be a true true leader, you will be a servant to all. In Jesus' value system, he says, you don't need anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, and deceit or lying. You don't need it, because what good is it doing you? The only thing it's doing is tearing others down, and you don't need to tear others down in order for you to find value, in order for you to find joy. You'll find it in me, he says. And so he says, take off that old value system and put on the new self. Now, why is he writing to a bunch of Christians saying this? Because they're not different than us. The temptation every morning when we're suiting up our our moral character When we're suiting up for the day, we've got a decision to make. Am I going to live in light of the gospel, or am I going to live in light of my old value system? Is that hard to do? Yeah. It's really hard to do. And you know when it's really, really, really hard to do it? When the people across the table from me don't know what they're talking about. 
when the people across the table from me are idiots, when the people across the table from me are strange to me, when the people across the table from me have a different perspective or a different prejudice than I do, my go-to response is right here. I get angry. You will feel my wrath. I will harbor malice towards you, and you know how I'm going to express it? Is I'm going to tell everyone else at the church that you are scum. But I'm going to do it as a prayer request <laughs> so I can slip it in under the radar. But I'm not going to confront you. I'm not going to tell you. In fact, I'll lie to your face every time I see you and say, brother, sister. You see, it's really hard to take off the old self when the self across the table from us is strange or offensive to us. Oh, unity is easy in here. Wait till you get at a table. Let's continue on. Are we encouraged yet? Let's keep going. You are being renewed. Oh, thank God. Because this is really hard, right? I'm being renewed. Okay. In knowledge, according to the image of my creator. Okay, so my old self is uh, taking off the old self and putting on the new self. It's, it's, it seems to be a process. It seems to me that I'm, I'm, I'm in, a, in a process of being renewed. So maybe that's why this is so hard. What am I being renewed into? So if I've turned from myself, if I've, if I've repented or if I've turned and I've pursued after Jesus, he says, come and follow me. And in that process, he is renewing me and he's making me, as, as long as I'm following him and obedient to him, he's making me more and more into whose image? Into his image. To put it another way, he's making me into the way I'm supposed to be. And all this corruption and all this brokenness, he is renewing. And then he says this. I love this. Y'all ready? Watch what he says here. Now, we got to be so careful here. We need to be so careful. But I love this. Oh, this does my heart so good. In Jesus Christ, there is not, TV time out. Do you remember the old value systems? The way that the old value system, or I don't necessarily like this language, but, you know, the way of this world this world's value systems, the, the cultural uh, world that we live in today, the value system is us and them. Us and them. And as long I'm with the us, I feel safe, I feel peaceful, I feel right, I feel righteous. As long as I'm with the us, I'm okay. And you know who we need to keep out? Them. You know who's not allowed at my table? Them. Now, what would be some of the most popular categories of persons? How, what would be the most popular us versus them categories? Let's see if this author can show us something here. In Christ, there is no Greek and Jew category of division. Now, this, for any Jewish uh, reader of this, they would, th that is how you saw the world, is there's us, the Jew, or us, the Greek, and then the thems. So you have religious and cultural and nationalistic divisions here. Do you see it? There's the native-born and the immigrants. Woo. There's the Republicans and the Democrats. There's the Bible church folk 
and then everyone else is going to hell. <laughs> Social, political, religious divisions. Do you see it here? And what the, what the author says, when you guys are at table and you're fencing the table and you're saying it's us at the table and you need to stay away from my table, when it comes to the table, there is no such thing as a division between Jew and Greek. You don't divide the world up that way anymore in light of this new self, in light of this new system. You got it? In the kingdom of God, who gets to be a citizen? The answer is always yes. Who gets to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Yes. There is no circumcision and uncircumcision. Now, I was going to make a joke, but I cut it out. Because I didn't want to get in trouble, okay? Trust me, it was nuts. It was going to be so funny. See, it's really difficult to be in community with people like me. This is the difference between, and maybe this is closer to the the, the conservative religious and maybe more um, liberal religious. So this is more of a doctrinal dispute between people. And then he names what's strange to us, barbarian and Scythian. Now, just to give us an example, I, I, I apologize. I'm gonna do some, I'm gonna do some, stereotyping, and I, I just couldn't think of a better way to do it, and so if I sin in this process, I, I know I've already done it multiple times in this sermon, but if I sin in this particular process, please, please talk to me, help me understand a better way. But as I understand it, this would be, the barbarian is kind of, a, if, if you don't mind, like a backwoods hick who definitely has a gun, definitely drives domestic, did, didn't, you know, Buckeye, yeah. <laughs> Again, it, uh, and, and so these, these are people that the educated class would look down on. Y'all with me? They're barbarians. And the Scythian is more of a sophisticated, yet violently militant and scary group. This would be similar to, again, I, I, I couldn't think of a better way, but it would be similar to an Iranian freedom fighter. Who's definitely packing. And then another division, slave and free, which I think given, at least for those of us who have grown up in America, given our history, whether we look it in the eyes or not, it's deep in our blood. We know that division, it echoes even to this day. So let me tell you, what is the occasion for this letter? Why is this pastor saying these particular categories of persons? Oh, I love this. Now, keep in mind that when churches gathered in this day, it was likely about 50 people in a house about uh, uh, an eighth the size of this space. And a central figure of all of those church gatherings was a table where they would take communion as part of a bigger meal. Why is the author using these uh, persons in this letter? Why do you think? Because that's who makes up the Colossian church. Do you think, as you think about these categories of persons, and they're around table, week in and week out, praying together, celebrating communion together, singing hymns to one another, do you think any conflict would show up? Could you imagine any conflict showing up? Right? But the author here is reminding us that in Jesus, because of the work of Jesus, 
We don't view the world as us and thems. It's interesting, he's actually hinting back in the top part, he's hinting back to Genesis 1, the creation of the whole cosmos and the creation of humanity all coming from one couple, male and female, made in the image of God. He's riffing off that old song that was familiar to so many. There's a, a, a leader, Sarah Shin, and, and she told this story, it's, and, and I'm going to butcher the details. I was scribbling it as it was being told, so if you know Sarah, please apologize on my behalf, and if you have a source, I couldn't find the source of the story, so if you have more details, please give it to me. But the way that I heard it went like this. There was a young woman from the Middle East who had come to her church, and she met Jesus, and she remembers the first time she took communion. And it was shortly after she had first taken communion Right, first experience being at the table. That she met a man. And quickly they got engaged. And they had a wedding date. And as with everyone else all around the world, who do they want at the wedding? The people that they love, friends and family. But because of uh, some government restrictions, her family was not able to join them for the wedding. So here's this young woman from the Middle East who's recently met Jesus. She's in this room full of strangers, a bunch of misfits like us. And so she invited a bunch of people that she only knew because of Jesus to the wedding. And if I'm not mistaken, the wedding was on Saturday and they were in church on Sunday, which I never recommend. And they were taking communion again. And this young Middle Eastern woman who's just started following Jesus, newlywed, comes up. And just like what we do, they, they have people who gather up front to pray. And at the end of the service, this young woman comes up to Sarah and says, I know that you usually pray for me, but I want to pray the Lord's blessing on you. And she put her hand on her. She prayed. And she prayed something like this. God, I thank you for being our father. God, I thank you for making Sarah my sister. And as she prayed, she prayed the Lord's blessing and then amen. And then she looked at her, held her hand in her face, uh, her face in her hand, and she said, you are my family now. Here's this young Middle Eastern woman speaking to a Korean immigrant in a room full of misfits saying, because of Jesus, you are my people now. Who gets to sit at Jesus' table? Yes. Who's at your table? Let's keep going. Above all, now how are we going to do this? I mean, you wouldn't believe who they voted for. You want me to feed them? Come on. You wouldn't believe what they enjoy. You wouldn't believe what they think. By the way, I just want to say this. Uh, we're going into an election cycle. If you don't know, it's, it's contentious. <laughs> if you haven't read the news. If these words ever come out of your mouth, I don't know how any follower of Jesus could vote that way or could believe that way. I don't, how could anyone do that? How could any Christian vote that way or be that way? Here's your homework assignment. Just ask them. Just ask them, 
have them at your table and say, help me understand. It may be that you might be in need of some renewal. It may be that the tension that you feel is not something to run from. It may be the Holy Spirit working on you. So how do we do this? Well, first of all, the thing we need to put on, if we're going to take this stuff off, the thing we need to put on is what? Love. Put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of Christ, which you were also called, in one body rule in your hearts. Do you see this unifying language he's using here? He's saying, when you, every day, when you wake up and you say, what self am I going to put on today? Put on the new self, the self that's defined by Jesus, not the old way of thinking. And in that new self, recognize that it is the love of Jesus working in and through us that will bind us together in unity, even in the midst of aggravating diversity. In fact, it's in the midst of that diversity, that aggravation, that tension, that disappointment, that frustration, it's in the midst of those things that the Spirit of God will do his most magnificent work. I believe it 100%. Let me put it to you this way. I'm going to make you 100% guarantee. I guarantee you 100% that you will be sinned against by people in this church, and I'll be the worst one. I guarantee that you will hear something or see something as you spend real time with this church family. I 100% guarantee that you are going to walk away from some of your meetings with these people, tense, frustrated, disappointed, angry, or sad. In fact, I would tell you, if you're not walking away from a healthy amount of meetings with your church family feeling anger, frustration, disappointment, confusion, or sadness, you're probably not engaging in a real conversation. It's easy to be unified when you're in pews facing forward. But when you're honest with one another, building authentic relationships around tables, oh, the sparks fly. But I'm going to tell you, and I want you to hear this in the most gentle way possible. I'm going to tell you what my ki- tell my kids every night at dinner. Get back to the table. It's not, it's frustrating, it's tense, it's aggravating. These people, I can't believe they said this. Our number one temptation for Jesus followers is when things get tough, when things get anxious, when I get tense, our number one temptation is to turn and leave the table. And we say things like this, I'm going to go find me another table where everyone agrees with me. But here's the deal. Who gets to sit at Jesus' table? Yes. So does that table exist? Sure, it exists. That everyone just like me table exists. But is it healthy? Is it in line with Jesus' teaching where the Spirit's going to do his most magnificent work? I don't think so. Based on my understanding of Jesus' teachings and those who follow Jesus, I think what they're telling us is this. If, it's, if there's heat, praise Jesus. But in order to do it, we need to put on love. We need to start with, we are bound together by something more than our common affinity and prejudice. We are bound together by Jesus. Continue on in the text. It says this. Be thankful. Yeah, right. (laughs) Have you met these people, Jesus? Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. How do we get through this? 
I mean, I've met most of you. How are we going to do this? Right? How can we in unity sit across from one another in love? We have got to constantly be reminded of God's grace and love for us, that he is risen and he is risen indeed. And it is only by his spirit's power moving through each one of us collectively committed to loving one another that we're able to do that. So what do I need and I think what do you need? We need reminders from each other to take off the old self and put on the new. And by the way, church family, this is one of the reasons why every week we sing to each other. When we're singing, we're not only singing vertically, we're singing horizontally too. We are reminding each other singing to one another psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're reminding each other of the love and grace of God, and we're reminding each other that we are all allowed at the table. Friends, I want to encourage you. Take stock of who's at your table. Ask yourself this question. Who is at my table? We want to help you do that. If you're not regularly around people that are different than you, focused on Jesus, we want to help you take that next step. You'll see this graphic everywhere. You'll notice that uh, our next steps, the build relationship, you'll notice what the logo is of. A table, not pews. Why? Because authentic relationships don't generally happen like this. They happen around tables. If you would like uh, help uh, getting connected to a group, getting connected to some tables with people different than you, just use that Next Steps card and drop it in the bins on your way out uh, or drop it by Direct and Connect. So here's what we're going to do now. Everyone take a big deep breath in. Breathe out. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, I want you right now to think of all the people you hate. Think about all the natural thems. Jesus loves them so much. Jesus calls all people, including our enemies, to his table. And that's so hard, isn't it? But hear this. Jesus loves you so much. And you are welcome at his table. Wherever you've been, wherever you're going, you are welcome at the table of the Lord. And I will say this as someone who has experienced this tension, frustration, disappointment, and anger firsthand and seen Jesus' spirit work through it. There is so much joy. There is so much joy at the table. Let us be a people who live our lives committed to welcoming anyone and everyone to the table of the Lord, recognizing that we are welcome there as well.